0: to Where They At. My name is Nabate Owls and it's always a pleasure to feature eminent and elite retired athletes, people that paved the way for athletics and sports and what it is today. And it is my pleasure on the 12th episode to feature a 12-time All-Star, easily won Rookie of the Year in nineteen the 1965-66 season when he joined the San Francisco Warriors out of the University of Miami. He has a points-per-game average of 36.3 points in the NBA Finals, which is the highest mark in the history of the league. Also, he's one of the NBA's top 50 players, and he was a pioneer in making the smooth transition from athlete to broadcaster. And part of my intro, I'm actually going to continue with a familiar voice to this gentleman, and this is a welcome addition to the introduction. Here we go.
1: Most people know This guy led our 1974-75 Golden State Warrior team to an unexpected and improbable NBA championship and arguably the greatest upset in the history of the NBA, if not all of professional sports, sweeping the heavily favored Washington Bullets for zip. It was certainly on par with the stunning upset of Joe Namath and the Jets in super bowl three in 1969 and this man was named mvp of the championship series yes most valuable player some people know he's the only person in the history of basketball to lead the nc2a the aba and the nba in scoring few people know he used to challenge his teammates in free throw shooting after practice, where he'd shoot his famous underhanded style, blindfolded, and win. I'm talking about none other than my friend, the great Rick
2: Barry.
0: Yes, indeed. I introduce Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, the great Rick Barry. How are you, sir?
2: (laughs) Just so you know that the person who did that introduction (laughs) is, is a dear friend and teammate of mine. Uh, by the name of uh, Jamal Silky Wilkes. That's right. Who, when we used to scrimmage and play, it was ridiculous. He couldn't miss. I said, Jamal, listen, I have the key to your success. I said, when you're playing against an opponent, just visualize my face on him because you never miss when I was guarding you. So uh, (laughs) we had a great time together. He was a great player and an integral part of the success of our team, along with another rookie, Phil Smith. Very rare to have rookies be such contributors to a team's success. Uh, but Jamal was a great player. I'm so happy that he is one of my one of my Hall of Fame member yeah, associates. Now he finally got him in the Hall of Fame, which is certainly justified with the amazing career that he had. So, but I have to ask you, uh, what they what mm-hmm. did you actually plan to have me on because I was in 12 times. You know that I was in the NBA. That you had to go ahead and kind of make that fit in for the twelfth show that you're doing. You know, it was
0: just, it was just, it was just by chance. Divine intervention. Divine 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 intervention. intervention. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Well,
2: that's 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 good. But you know what? I tell you what. I, you know, you ought to play that tape sometime for uh, some of the guys like Bill Simmons who, who called me a dick. Yeah, you know, oh. in his book, oh. yeah, you know how my teammates, how my teammates all hated me. Nobody liked me. I was like one of the most despised people in the world. And so I guess maybe there's one guy that maybe doesn't think that. Right?
0: That's right, and and there's <laughs> more than one guy. That many more people that doesn't think that for sure because you know what you kept it real, and and we're gonna talk about that for sure about about keeping it real, especially in the time where athletes had to be zip you know what i mean well that's why
2: well but that's that's why i had the reputation because i was one of the few athletes back in those days that actually when i had an opinion i expressed my opinion mm-hmm. and i i stood up for myself and you were supposed to just be you know the 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 tamed animal in the cage and just behave yourself and never say a word mm-hmm. and you know now everybody's outspoken in fact it's actually gotten to an extreme Because I really do believe in the old adage that, you know, what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. And it should stay that way. But unfortunately, that's not the case anymore.
0: Right. No, that absolutely. And with the social media phenomenon, that's a whole nother thing
2: (laughs) for sure. Well, yeah. Well, that's why I I don't understand how some of these guys would get themselves in trouble and somebody has a video of them doing some stupid thing what are they thinking about I and mean, in today's world everybody has phones that have cameras yep. you can't go out and do something that's not the right thing to do and expect that you're going to get away with it that's right and not be discovered
0: that's right that's right and then so it's... you know
2: what so they they deserve everything that they get because they're fools
0: Mm-hmm. and, and guess what and then they make it the excuse saying like oh no one does that when i do something nice for the community uh no people want to find controversy people want to find bad things so don't do those bad things in public
2: <laughs> exactly <laughs> you
0: know? so wow but but we have so much to talk about rick I I mean your your illustrious career, but also your upbringing. And you grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey, which isn't far from New York City. And your father was a coach, a basketball coach himself, and he played semi-pro. Um, so basketball came naturally to you, right? Like especially the fundamentals. Yeah, it did.
2: It really did. And then when, when my brother, who was Dennis, uh, who was you know very very helpful to me in in my career. Uh, When he was nine, he's four years older. Obviously, I admired my brother, and I wanted to do everything my brother did. And so fortunately, he got interested in basketball at nine. So that means I got a jump start, and I, I was at five at the time. So I really started playing at five and learning about it. And my dad was a strict fundamentalist. So what he did is formed the foundation. This is the thing I try to tell people, regardless of what it is that you're doing in life, whether it's broadcasting, music, science, whatever it may be. You have to learn the basic fundamental principles and concepts of whatever that is, because that's the foundation that you build on. And you can't build a tall building on a small foundation. It can only go so high and it'll topple over. So the more knowledge you have about what it is that you're trying to become proficient at, the better off you are and the better your chances of being able to fully maximize whatever God-given talent and, and abilities you have.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's deep, absolutely. And 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 who did you admire growing up? Which athletes or social uh, figures did you admire? Growing what number? Up? What
2: number was I? Twenty-four. Okay, and and at that time, uh, who was playing baseball in New York? With the name number (laughs)
0: twenty-four, Great Willie Mays. That's exactly
2: (laughs) right. And my father taught me, who you mentioned was a semi-pro base basketball player and coach, was also an outstanding fast-pitch softball player. Mm. But he taught me how to catch the the old basket catch,
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Willie Mays. And so that year, who comes in as a rookie? This guy that's catching the ball like that. So who else could I choose? And then in the World Series, turned out to be four.
0: Al here's, Rosen, here's, Al Rosen, off his bat.
2: <laughs> here's the great. Here's the greatest thing, though, is is later in life, just to show you what a great country we live in. My boyhood hero became my friend. I got to know him personally and was invited to go to Willie's 80th birthday wow. celebration at Bally's wow. in New in Atlantic City.
0: That's
2: right. He invited me to go to that, and he asked me. To be the first speaker, I'm here. I am with all these great Hall of Fame baseball players, and he asked me to go. I said, "Really?" He want I, He said, "Yeah, Willie really wants you to do that." And so I'm the first one up to speak. They're only going to have three people speaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like blown away by that, but I think it's because Willie loved the story mm-hmm. that I'm going to tell in a second here. And so I got up to the microphone and i had, you know, just I don't know, twenty five hundred people or whatever there in the ballroom. And I said, I know exactly what every one of you are thinking. What the hell is he doing here? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I'm kind of thinking the same thing, folks. I said, you're probably wondering why, you know, a basketball player is here honoring the great Willie Mays with all these Hall of Fame baseball players. It's such an honor to be here. I said, but I think I know why. I think because Willie knows the story of how I wore 24 because of him. and My father taught me the basket catch. And that one time when I was in elementary school, I used, they used to call it grammar school back then. Yeah, And I was in a parochial school and there was a, a PAL for the public schools. There was a, a trip to go to an early Giants baseball game at the polo grounds. Mm-hmm. So I cut school to go to the game. I wanted to go to the game. So I cut school and I go to the game and after the game is over, People who aren't familiar with this is the old polo grounds. The clubhouses were in center field and they used to go up stairwells, stairways to the clubhouse out in center field. And so after the game was over, I'm in left, left field. I jump the fence and sprint out to get Willie as he's approaching to get to the stairs and go up and shake his hand and run back to the, you know, to the wall. And my friends pull me above over the wall, get on the bus and go back home. I get home. And my brother is there because he was in a public school. So he was there and he goes, Hey, how you doing? How'd you like the game today? I said, what are you talking about? I said, he said, I did like the game. I said, I wasn't at the game. I was in school. He said, no, you weren't. You were at the game. I said, what are you talking about? Uh, uh, I said, no, I wasn't. He said, yeah, you were at the game. I saw you on television. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> so he said, yeah. He said, I'm watching the game. And all of a sudden, the game's over and the camera zooms into this kid who jumps off the, over the fence and rushes out to shake Willie Mays's hand. And Whoa. I saw you. I said, "Oh my God! Don't tell mom and dad, please."
0: <laughs> Did he tell mom and dad?
2: No, he didn't. Okay, no, he good, didn't.
0: good, good, good. <laughs> that's a good reason to, because I mean, yeah. that, hey, that that's that's history right there.
2: Uh, no, and then I get to, then I get to I get to meet him, not only meet him, but become friends with with my boyhood yeah. hero. I mean, how amazing is that? And both of you were
0: stars in the city of San Francisco as well. Stars at the same time, you know, Willie with the with the San Francisco Giants and yourself with the San Francisco Warriors of the NBA. Talking with the great Rick Barry, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, NBA champion and, and one of the greatest players in the history of the league. And now you went on to the University of Miami. Uh, on a basketball scholarship but you never got a chance to play in the NCAA tournament do you still think about that to this day
2: well actually the NIT tournament was a bigger event back then Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. was the tournament that everybody wanted to play in the NCAA was just getting started they didn't Uh, have as many teams and the most prestigious tournament was the the NIT tournament and I mm -hmm. got to play in that um, and unfortunately I mean I had a situation where I was a sophomore playing in that tournament and then uh, we were playing against Providence. And Of course, let well, me tell you something. You want to talk about home cooking, man, oh. you play against the team from the Northeast and you're back there <laughs> coming from out of that area and you're playing in the New York metropolitan area. You have no chance at the officials. Trust me. <laughs> uh, no, seriously. Cause we played Providence. We had beaten Providence during the season and not, and stopped their, uh, their string of consecutive victories. Mm-hmm. And then we, so I'm playing a member actually, uh, it was, I remember Ray Flynn, who became the mayor of Boston, uh, later Uh-oh. on, many years later yeah. and, and Vinnie and, uh, see, what is it? Vinny and Anyway, they had two, two really good guards. So we're making a big comeback and we have a chance to, to, to maybe beat them and knock them out of the tournament. And we. Got around. I think it might have been Ray that we were around, or might have been Vinny. And we double teamed, and we got the ball. I got the ball. We got. It's no foul. I mean, we got it and I snuck, smacked the ball out and turned to go and lay up, make a layup. Mm-hmm. The official blew the whistle and called the foul on me, and I was so upset. And I it wasn't really great at controlling my emotions at that age. Um, I probably wasn't, most people say I probably wasn't that good for most of my life, but, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I threw the ball and just, just rifled it at the rim and hit the rim and, and get, you know, they got the technical foul. We wound up losing the game. So it's not that I remember these things, but, uh, but it's like, it was yesterday. So I kind of remember that was my NIT experience. And then we played in my sophomore year and we played against St. Francis, I think. Well, that might have been my first year, we played St. Francis and it beat them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the officials really didn't give us any bargains back then. I mean, it was kind of crazy. Yeah,
0: it was like more of a Northeast, NCAA basketball. Oh God, it was yes, it was, it was
2: all about thing. New yeah. York and the Northeast teams, and <laughs> and <laughs> all this stuff over yeah. <laughs> there. But yeah. But yeah, but no, the NCAA wasn't a big deal. But where I was most disappointed was my senior year. We had a really good team.
1: Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. were
2: 22 and four,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, we had done a really good job uh, playing that season. I think we were one of the better teams in the country, but we didn't get an opportunity to uh, to go to the NCAA tournament that year right, because right. they put us on probation for some bogus violation that should never have – it shouldn't have been anything at all. Mm-hmm. And it cost me in my senior year a chance to play in the postseason.
0: Wow. And, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of staring off from your story, uh, from your stories and your memories at the University of Miami, but do you think NCAA athletes should be paid?
2: yeah Mm -hmm. i do a lot of these a lot of the kids me included i mean you know i was lucky to get you know a couple of bucks from my parents and Mm -hmm. you had fifteen dollars a month you got laundry on your scholarship and i didn't have the kind of money that some of my roommates and friends had to be Mm -hmm. able to go out and get a you know go go to a restaurant and get bite to eat yeah i think certainly they should be able to do that and i think that they should be able to have at least maybe you know pay for them flying down to school and a trip to go back home as well. I mean, I I don't think there's any issue with that. I think that should be a part of it
0: and especially their likeness being able to receive a commission like receive royalties for their likenesses.
2: Right? Well, I think that yeah, but the thing is is that's not fair to all the players because there's only going to be one or two, maybe one if you're lucky or you know maybe two per team or something. That, yeah. yeah, I mean, and so it's not really that they should get such preferential treatment. I think they all should be allowed to have the opportunity. If you're given a scholarship, you should be able to have some some little extra perks that should be given mm-hmm. because the schools are all making money off of what you're doing and now but you are getting a chance to get a very expensive education, yep. especially yep. nowadays. So it's not like you're not getting anything at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, it shouldn't get crazy and get you know totally carried away, but like anything, anything too extreme is usually not good. <laughs> For sure. Things, things need to be done in moderation. For sure,
0: no, my, absolutely, absolutely, wow. And 12th episode of Where They At featuring Hall of Famer, Rick Barry, and now, When you entered the NBA, you were number two pick overall, 1965 draft uh, out of University of Miami. And then, I mean, you made an impact, rookie of the year, averaging over 25 a game. Then your second year winning the scoring title, 35.6 points per game. And then you were able to lead the Warriors to the NBA Finals against, I think, personally, the greatest team ever, the 66, 67, 76ers. In my opinion, that's the greatest team ever. And you were able to lead the Warriors to six games, win two games in their finals, and average 40.8 points a game. Now, Rick, like, how are we able to make such an impact instantly like that in the league? Not many people have done that in the history of, of the NBA.
2: Well, I mean, first of all, the thing that was most important, everybody brings up the Rookie of the Year. I mean, the Rookie Year is nice, and certainly it was a nice award and nice recognition. But, but you were dropping 25. I made first team all-, I made, I made all I That's first right, team all first team all-, all
0: NBA. That's right, yes, I mean, which yes. is a lot
2: more impressive than just being You're Rookie right. of the Year. You're right about and, that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I also averaged over 10 rebounds a game, because people don't realize uh, when I was in college, I, I was a hell of a rebounder. Mm-hmm. Even though yeah. I didn't have great size, I wasn't the greatest sleeper in the world, but I understood uh, I understood the game. I understood where balls might go, depending upon where somebody was shooting from. And I understand the concept out. of boxing yep. out, mm-hmm. You know something that's that's hardly ever happened. Nowadays. <laughs> tell me about uh, it. <laughs> well, because they all use their athleticism. So I try to tell the players when I coached in the minor, they said, look, un- understand this. So if you release and go after the ball and you don't screen your guy out, I said, suppose he can jump a little higher than you can because they're all great athletes. I said, he mm-hmm. can go up and keep that ball alive because you didn't take him out of the play. Mm-hmm. And so you're giving the opposition an opportunity to perhaps get an offensive rebound that he shouldn't get. If you did your job, by at least putting a body on him. Right. I said, if you just go and you put a body and then release what you've done is you've given him, if you give him a little bit of a bump, he can he has to then gather himself. So he's not going to be able to get to the ball as quickly as you are. That's but right. if you just turn and go, he can go with you. That's
0: mm-hmm. yeah, true. That's true. So it's
2: little, it's the little subtleties like this that are not being taught to players today. And I think it's the difference of why some of them aren't as good as they should be, because it gets back to what we talked about earlier. They don't have the fundamentals now right. and right. they don't understand what to do with this enormous talent, God given that they have. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, I, I fantasize about what I would have been able to do if I had the ability of some of the players that, that I played against and that I've seen today who could jump out of the gym, who could just do these incredible physical things. I was a really, I think, I think I was an exceptionally good athlete, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't, I was exceptional. I was very quick and fast. And there's a big difference. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: You know, you can be fast, but you don't necessarily have to be quick and you can be quick without being fast. I was both for my size, but I wasn't a super great leaper. So I knew that I could beat the first guy guarding me, yeah, but I had to trick the second guy. These guys jump over the second guy. Which is a, which is a nice luxury to have.
0: Yes indeed. Yes indeed. And 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 you faced as someone that you have said that is the greatest player to ever live. That is Wilt Chamberlain.
2: Well, and no, not the greatest player. No, I have to correct you there because everybody does okay. to do that. You can't pick the greatest player in a team sport. that every position yep. requires different skills. Right. Wilt was the greatest center, in my mind, in the history of the game, mm-hmm. not taking anything away from Bill Russell. Bill Russell had the most impact on his team's success mm-hmm. of any player in the history of the game.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But as far as the position of center, back the way it used to be, because it's different now. Yeah, uh, They just take him off the All-Star ballot, which I almost fell out of my chair. Oh, years God. Ago. So <laughs>
0: yes.
2: it, Wilt Chamberlain could do... It did things that nobody will ever do. I mean, 50 points a game. People don't have any idea how insane that is to think. I mean, I averaged 30, almost 36. I have to average 14 more points a game for 80 something games. Are you kidding
0: me? And then he did 44 points. I believe the next season?
2: Yeah, but how many players how many players do you know and that that you know actually could even average 14 a game? (laughs) Let alone fifty. Right. Right, right. So I'd have to get 14 more than what I had in each game to be able to match what Wilt did. And as I'm saying, most players in the pros never averaged 14 points a game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. Just 14.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and skill set, skill set wise, he could do everything, though. Right. Well, like,
2: well, the people didn't realize. I mean, he he could run under a 40 something second, uh, 440. He high jumped over seven that's feet.
0: Right. He I is. mean, he
2: was an amazing athlete. Mm-hmm. Just an amazing athlete.
0: Wow, and, and 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 how would he how would he do in today's game? Like would will you He think? dominate mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like he did back then. Now would he be? How many how many great centers are there? That and that's what I wanted to ask you about the center position. Like what what's going on because you have you do have talented centers and Joel Embiid. You have Nikola Jokic. You know I love Jokic's skill set. Well, yeah,
2: Jokic because he can pass it. He understands the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so will we ever see? an NBA championship team not be based on guard and wing play, more more like a center leading that team. If they can get
2: the right guy who plays the game the right way, who's a great low post center, who can play defense, who can rebound, who can pass, who can still score and even go out sometimes and take a mid-range shot. But if you get a guy who's a well-rounded, great center and you put the right people around him, that team will wind up beating one of those other teams that you're talking about.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I really do believe that because I do believe you'll have more success inside out as opposed to just outside.
0: Yes, yes. And 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 speaking of the outside game, the Warriors—they were able to to accentuate that well, they, throughout. The, they, you know, changed the last they, they changed everything
2: about that. They changed. They changed the way the game was looked at it always was before I got into it on the pro level, then all the years I was in it, then the years I did broadcasting. Here's what the philosophy was. Mm -hmm. If you do these three things, you got a chance to win a game. You take away the second chance opportunities, you minimize the fast break opportunities, and you force the other team to beat you from the perimeter. And that's the one that was changed by the Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> Make the team beat you from the perimeter. Not only could they beat you from the perimeter, they can embarrass you from the perimeter. That's
0: right. That's right. And see,
2: that, so that changed the entire way that you would approach trying to win games because you can't give the Warriors outside shots. They kill you. Yeah. Especially when they had the big three. All three of them could shoot Ooh. a three point shot. That's why they were indefensible. The only time the Warriors got in trouble is if, if two of the three guys were having bad shooting games or if it was a situation, where, uh, yeah, well, that's what it really came down to. It, it, or or the second part of it is if they dec- if they stopped playing Warriors basketball and they did too much one-on-one, which occasionally they got into that, yep. they would go too much to KD and the guys would try to do too much and it wasn't pass, move, cut, pass, move, cut, pass, move, cut. Mm-hmm. When they did that, and if they were playing their normal game and playing a good game from the perimeter, you were not going to beat them. That's why they had that dominant five-year run. Yep. You can't defend that. It's yeah. impossible.
0: Absolutely right, and and now with the current warriors, like you know, of course, they're doing the right thing because they don't want to be in purgatory in the middle of the pack and everything. I mean, they're they're you know, what did you what do you think of Stephen Curry coming back? Does, does he really need to come back when the season is like a complete
2: wash? Uh, I think. Well, probably he wants to play. I mean, as a player, I could say I wanted to play. I I Mm -hmm. hated when we were blowing somebody out because I knew I wouldn't get to play that much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have the game be a little bit closer so that I got to play more Yeah, Uh, because I wanted to be on the court. (laughs) I wanted to be playing. I love playing. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, and nowadays, most of the star players, most of them only play maybe what thirty six minutes a game. If you look right. at the averages, at most, maybe, at most, yeah, yeah. thirty six. I mean, mm-hmm. hell, I mean, I at one season I remember playing. I think it was with Louis Carne Second the ABA. I played forty seven minutes a game. You know, then the most of the times I was over forty, forty two, or whatever, and I didn't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. And and we had it a lot tougher than these guys. I mean, after a game, we'd go out and use our eight dollar per day per diem. When I first came in the league, driving our own cars to find a place to eat and stuff. We didn't jump on a private jet a charter jet and go and have uh, food catered by Wolfgang Puck or somebody <laughs> to eat and still have a $150 per diem and then go stay in a Fitzcar- Ritz-Carlton or some other place. <laughs> I mean, and we had to get up at six o'clock in the morning or five in the morning to catch the first commercial flight to get to the next city. Yep. I used to wash my, my uniform in the shower when I got done with the game and hope it dried out for the game the next night. I Tasty. mean, it's a different world, trust yeah. me.
0: Yep. Wow. Uh, now, now with Steph, do you think Stephen Curry will play until the end of the season, or will they shut him Yeah, down? yeah.
2: He'll. I, I, I think they'll minimize minutes and stuff and all. But I, I think it's a matter of at least giving the fans who paid all that outrageous amount of money an opportunity, you know, to see the face of the team, Steph. Mm-hmm. Yep. And have him back out there, and and he probably wants to play some. And, and I know they wouldn't put him out there. And you just, you know, hope that he's going to play, and nothing happens, no other injuries or anything of that nature. But I think they felt that uh, they owe that to the fans. I mean, right. from the standpoint of strictly from a business standpoint, if you were going to look at it totally from from a business standpoint of wanting to have the best opportunity to win next season, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. probably wouldn't play them.
0: Right. No, absolutely. And and now, Rick, I wanted to speak with you. Speaking of the ABA, you ended up um, having to go to court too because you didn't feel respected from the standpoint of like being
2: paid. You know, no, and- no, no, no. That was that had nothing to do with it. Really, oh. it didn't. It was all about. It was all about the fact that, as you mentioned, I I, I led the league in scoring. I was the MVP of the All Star Game. We mm-hmm. came within two pick and roll plays of beating, and I agree, one of the greatest teams in the history of the NBA, the 76 mm-hmm. Sixers. Took them to six games, and could have easily possibly won that series, and I didn't have a lot of fun. And and mm-hmm. and I've talked about this before, and and it's it's nothing against personally as an individual of Bill Sharman, God rest his soul, who's no longer with us, but Bill was rather fanatical about the way he did things, and he wanted to ha- have everything done the way he did it when he played, mm-hmm. and you can't necessarily do that, and we we hardly ever had a day off, mm-hmm. um, and even to the point when you said I averaged forty point eight points in the finals, I I got I had to get shot up, and I, today they wouldn't even let me do it. I had to get my ankle shot up before the game and at, at halftime to play that entire series. I had that bad an ankle. I shouldn't have played, actually. I Ooh. should never have played. Ooh. And so I, I played having to do that. And I, I'm just grateful that I didn't do something because I wouldn't even have known it because my, my ankle was numb. Uh, I could have done some serious damage and, and ruined my whole career, but I, that didn't happen, thank God. And so I was doing that and Bill was upset with me because I wasn't practicing. Oh. I said, Bill, I'm not going to get shot up to practice. I mean, it's crazy enough that I'm getting shot up to play in the games. Mm-hmm. And and so it just wasn't a whole lot of fun. And I had a chance to go to the Warriors. I mean, leave the Warriors to go to the Oaks, where my father-in-law at the time, who was my college Second coach, tail. who was so help mm-hmm. so helpful to me, uh, to go and play for him. However, despite what people think, I gave the Warriors every opportunity. And I told the Oaks, I said, I told Pat Boone, I said, Pat, I'm going to go back to the Warriors. I'm not going to tell them what you offer me. I'm going to say, give me your best offer. Mm-hmm. And if their offer is anything is, is comparable to your offer, I will not leave. People don't know that. Okay. Mm. And the Warriors blew it. They lowballed me. I said, give me your best offer. And they basically gave me the chance to do what I felt I wanted to do anyway, which is to go and have more fun and play for my father-in-law. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like I was trying to be some great trailblazer or whatever. And because it did change the whole dynamic of the game, because we challenged the reserve clause, which base best baseball had. And basketball was the same. And the league was not happy that the Warriors took the position that it was an option, and they had an option on my services because that opened up the door for every player that then play out as option. And actually, I was Kurt Flood before Kurt Flood.
0: Mm, Talk him with Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer Rick Barry. Now, Rick, how ahead of his time, the ABA skill set-wise wasn't like the NBA, but how ahead of his time was it when it came from a marketing perspective, when it came from, like, all the different quirks of the characters of the league and, and also the the rules of the game? How how much was it ahead of his time and how it's influenced the game now, you think?
2: Well, they were very innovative with what they came up with. Obviously, the three-point shot, which would. Had uh, had been around and, and used in some of the minor league stuff, and that's actually a fun. It was a fun thing. I mean, to change the game dramatically, as we know know now. In fact, to the point where you know teams abused the three point shot uh, <laughs> because you can live and die with it without question. The Warriors found that out in Game Seven when they lost that 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 series 2016 uh, in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they, the last four minutes and 20 seconds, they did nothing but take three point shots. Yeah. I mean, you're at home in a game seven, man, go to the freaking basket, get fouled, put some points on the board. You don't need to rely on the three point shot.
0: Yep. Yep. So
2: anyway, it killed them, but uh, the, you know, the red white and blue ball uh, they, the, the NBA copied what they did for all-star weekend when they made it with the dunk contest and all the other stuff. Cause the NBA all-star game, I'll give you a great example of the difference. In 1967, I played Thursday night, Friday night, flew to San Francisco to have a banquet for the All Star Game that night. Played Sunday afternoon in the All Star Game and played a game on the road on Monday.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow. Yep, and people yeah. and people complain about back to backs at times. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and
2: so that, and, and so now, of course, they get all this time off. Mm. You know, they have all these festivities and things going on. That's it's right. just a, it's a different world that we live in. And probably the worst part about it all is that they forgot three zeros on my contract.
0: <laughs> True, yes indeed. Because now we have nine. Fifteen thousand.
2: Fifteen thousand dollars I made my first year. Wow. I was offered twelve I was offered twelve five, no agents. I thought I did a good job. I negotiated it up to fifteen and I got a three thousand dollar signing bonus. Wow.
0: Now tell me what you you would be super max, right? Right now, Rick. If I, well I have I would have
2: have a I'd have a five year two hundred plus million dollar contract. Mm-hmm. I can't even relate to that to be honest with you. But, I mean <laughs> it, I used to I used to laugh when I got my checks when I was making fifteen thousand dollars. And then making, you know, then I made thirty, and I'm. I said, "This is unbelievable that somebody's willing to pay me to play basketball." I mean, I just said, "Oh my God, thank you, God." <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, and then to think that somebody would pay me forty million dollars for one season of mm-hmm. basketball mm-hmm. and have five years of it guaranteed, <laughs> I mean, I would have think that I would have died and went to heaven.
0: Yes, yes, it's 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 amazing, and now taking advantage of you know, the revenue that comes in, you know. Oh,
2: well, off the court, here's the deal. If I were playing today, I would absolutely kill social media. I mean, with the popularity, if you're one of the top athletes and you know what you're doing and you do it properly, you can make more than $40 million off the court. Seriously, without question. There's no doubt in my mind. I majored in marketing. I understand marketing. I would have been marketing myself off the charts, but only with meaningful good things, you know, not just trying to get the buck, Right. but there's so many things you could do utilizing social media if you if you really know what you're doing.
0: That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 speaking of something that that really separated you from everyone else was the underhanded free throw. You know, why why isn't that people like people frown upon that, you know, at times? I don't know, and,
2: and I don't know so why everybody makes a big, <laughs> it big oh that's embarrassing. Why is it embarrassing? It's embarrassing that I that I hardly ever miss a free throw. I mean in my last yeah. two years my last two years playing Andre Drummond from the Pistons in one game missed 23 free throws. That's more than I missed in my entire last two seasons. So how can you get, how can somebody make fun of somebody and think it's embarrassing? It's embarrassing to what to really be great at something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I missed nine in one season and 10 in another
0: Wow.
2: for the whole season. I mean, so I just, I don't understand it and I don't understand how guys can live with themselves if they're shooting 40, 50, 60% from the free throw line. I mean, it's the only part of the game that is consistent. It's always the same distance. It's always the same size ball. It's always the same size basket. Mm-hmm. My God, how do you not be able to make four out of every five? I'm telling you, if you can't shoot eight, if you're not an 80% free throw shooter, you're not a good free throw shooter as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. That- four, out of, four out of five. I mean, if you can't make four out of five, you're not a good free throw shooter. You need to go out and work on it some more. And why would you not do that? Because it's the only part of the game you can be selfish. Think only of yourself wow. and help your team.
0: Wow. And, and it's funny. The leading two MVP candidates, Giannis Antetokounmpo, 62.9% from the free throw line. And LeBron James, 69.3%. It's,
2: it's really it's unbelievable. <laughs> as great as those players are that they can live with the fact. And LeBron's never been – that's been his Achilles heel. Mm. In fact, I was the one that brought up his shooting when he first came in the league, and he's made a big adjustment. And finally, somebody comes up when they came in town, and the Cleveland people all started calling me up. Of course I'm talking about it. I said, said, you blame – I'm not blaming LeBron. I'm blaming the coaching staff. How can you let a great player like this have such horrendous shooting for him? I mean, it mm. was flying elbow. You can't be a great shooter with a flying elbow. Yep. It just doesn't work. It's impossible from a, from a physical standpoint and technical standpoint to be a consistent shooter. And LeBron is never – I don't think ever in his career he's shot 80% from the free throw line.
0: Right, right.
2: And so a lot of the other great – can you imagine how much better he would be in the same thing? Just, you know, take Shaq if Shaq had been 80%. Oh. I mean, forget it. In the games, you throw it into him, the game is over. hmm I mean, mm-hmm. it would have changed the dynamic of the teams he played for. He would have won more championships. I mean, it's the same thing. Giannis, if Giannis was an 80% free throw shooter, what a difference that would make, right? End of right. the game. He, you want the ball in his hands. Same thing in LeBron's case. He's not anywhere near as bad as those guys, but I mean, this year he's having a really tough year, but the thing is is that he misses a lot of free throws right. in a lot of games and down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if LeBron was an 80 something percent free throw shooter, I mean the same way, you know, game over at the end of the game, he has the ball and, you're, you're dead. I mean, there's no way you're going to beat them. In a close game.
0: And I'll never forget Carl Malone said to me that shoot, he would have been the leading scorer of all time if he made his free throws early in his earlier in his career. He improved that as his career went yeah. on. Yeah.
2: Well, you know? that's what I respected about that is that he realized that he was upset with himself and he worked his butt off to get himself to be a better free throw shooter.
0: Yes, indeed. Wow. Hall of Famer, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, one of the greatest players in the history of the NBA. Rick Barry is on the 12th episode of Where They At. My name is Nabate Owls. Now, what made the 1975 Golden State Warriors unique and memorable forever?
2: Well, I mean, we pulled off the biggest upset in the history of the finals. I mean, everybody said this is the biggest mismatch ever. There's going to be a sweep. The bullets are going to crush them. I mean, this is a joke. And we swept them. So, I mean, it doesn't get any more dramatic than that. But the thing, the reason why we won is because we had selfless guys. Nobody was worried about themselves. We made a commitment to defense. Al Adels brought in Bud Presley, the coach at Menlo Atherton College, who came in there and was very motivational to us about making the commitment to defense wow. and how defense will give you the opportunity like a, to be in games. Like a defensive uh, coordinator,
0: I, that type of well, – Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: kind of like, like that. And he was – he was, I still remember him. I think I said the, the, the two greatest moves that Al Adels made for us to win a championship were bringing Bud Presley in in training camp to get us mentally, mentally focused on defense. Mm-hmm as a team and the second thing was 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 benching me in game seven against the chicago bulls in the western conference finals think about that Mm -hmm. what coach would take his best player his star leading scorer player out of a game and sit him for i mean extended period of time just like McHale for a long period of time
0: kevin McHale Uh, with james harden remember in that game six when the when the rockets made that comeback against the clippers same thing yeah
2: yeah well, he took me out and left me out for a long period of time. My teammates did an incredible job. Held, I think they held Chicago scoreless for like seven and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. And and finally, I, I was ready to go back in at the end of the third quarter. And he didn't put me in, but I didn't say anything. I said, yeah, well, he's the coach. He's make the decision. And then when he put me back in, I can remember like it was yesterday. It was the north side of the building right in front of our bench. I was about 18, 19 feet from the basket. I was open. Mm-hmm. I was like maybe two for 14 at the time. And so I already knew I was the goat, but the thing is, is I said, you know, I have nowhere to go, but up. And so I, I took the shot, I made it. And I think I made something like five of my last seven shots and made a nice, real good assist to George Johnson on the play. And, and we wound up winning, but it was it was because of my teammates and because of Al's decision to take me out of the game and my teammates got it done. That's why I try to tell people one player doesn't win. You win as a team. And, and, and that's, what's the beauty of the sport of basketball is that it doesn't take, it takes, well, it takes probably, you know, eight. We played deep. We went about 10 deep and it takes everybody contributing and not worrying about yourself and putting your egos in the closet. And that's what made that so special. And the beauty of a team sport is, is that when you get together, you, you're you like a family. And so you have all of these people to be able to share all of that with. You were a part of something very special that very few people in the world have an opportunity to experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so meaningful. And our guys were, were great. I mean, it's fun to get to see those guys when we have the opportunity. I mean, people that nobody ever heard of, Charles Dudley. Mm-hmm. I mean, I many people know about Charles Dudley. George Johnson. Yeah. Derek Dickey, God rest He's not with us. Phil Smith. Mm-hmm. Jamal Wilkes, who you had on at the beginning. Clifford Ray. Yes. We had the two-headed monster at center. The aggressive Clifford Ray and the finesse George Johnson. Yes, yes. And it was like having one great center, but we had two guys and we had 12 fouls to play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, during that stretch, when I was on the bench, Clifford happened to be on the bench as well. So we had another reserve, George Johnson in there, and George is mm-hmm. blocking shots and doing everything he needed to and do Butch defensively. Beer.
0: Butch Beard, too. And,
2: well, Butch was yeah. another guard I was going to bring up. He was mm-hmm. our starting guard, yeah. point guard. But Clifford was up and was the biggest cheerleader for George. Yes. I mean, that's the kind of team that we really had you know, and then we had, you know, other guys, Bill Bridges was brought in as a veteran to come and play specifically for the Chicago series to be able to, to, to uh, guard Bob Love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah. And and then Steve Bracey was another guy that was on that team. That was one of the reserve guys. And it was just, it was a very special team. Uh, and, and CJ, our starting two guard, Charlie Johnson, and he's no longer with us. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so sad. We have so many of my teammates that are much younger than I was and uh, they're no longer with us, but, that's a whole nother story but anyway that's that's the beauty of a team is that you know we would go to the movies together and eat together and just you know have a really good time and and that all came about because of Clifford Ray mm-hmm. I was you know I, I was tough I was demanding I wasn't going to let anybody not play hard and do things and Clifford just made sure the guys understood that listen you can't take him seriously what he says on the court and doing stuff he forgets it when he leaves the court I said don't take anything personal this is only about the game that's right. You know, it's nothing about you. Don't take it personally. That that's right. It's that business. You business. You know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's about business. You mm-hmm. know. And then when you leave, you know, that's why people, you know, judge me as a person based upon this crazy guy that used to play basketball, and I'm not the same off the court. I mean, that's. I mean, when I'm out there, I'm serious. I mean, I'm not bullshitting around. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to go out there and kick somebody's ass. That's, I mean, that's right. <laughs> it's a, and that, that's that's why I came in fourth in the voting for MVP in '75 when I should have won. Because it was Mm. voted by the players, and I was the only unanimous choice by the writers for the first team All Pro. Which, in my mind, I know that I would have been MVP if the writers were voting, because I was Mm -hmm. the only unanimous choice for All Pro. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, and so I mean to come in. I mean, it was bad enough not to win, but geez, give me a break. (laughs) And that's why they took it away. They realized how stupid it was. You never give voting. I mean, when they have these voting, that's it. all the personal stuff comes into play. That's right. And even these awards that they do for the players' awards, the players' <laughs> awards, man, I'm telling you, yeah, you, you can take the players' awards with a grain of salt because so many of them allow personality skimming. If they don't like a guy, they don't vote for, for him. Sure. For it sure. Doesn't matter whether he plays great or how he plays. If they don't like him, they don't vote for mm-hmm. him. Didn't they vote for for Harden
0: over Steph Curry the first year that Steph won? won yeah, 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 won yeah, won yeah right. exactly. Yeah,
2: right. exactly. You know, it's like it's just. It's so it's those awards. And even when you have the writers doing it, it's a, it's a, it's a subjective thing. I mean, you don't Mm. know. I mean, I know in football, a lot of guys when they were doing stuff to go into the hall of fame, there was one writer I know for a fact that he would always campaign against any Oakland Raider player because he hated Al Davis. Yeah. And so he would try to get people not to vote for guys. Can you imagine how petty that is? That is, that is, I mean, it's just, that's so, that's so foolish and so unfair. To a player who is deserving, like look how long it took Ray Guy, who was at his time, the greatest punter by far right. of anybody in the league. Right. I mean, this guy was like insane. Yeah, and it took forever for him to get into the Hall of Fame. Wow, right,
0: right, and 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 Rick, and speaking of, you know, we would talk about your 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 outspokenness and and being honest, being real. What happened game seven, nineteen seventy six Western Conference Finals against the Phoenix Suns? I want to get your perspective on that. I never heard your take well, you first know. of all, we should have yeah.
2: we should we gave we had a game. They changed the rule in basketball because we lost a game down in Phoenix that we should have won. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lead under a minute and stuff to go. They score a basket. I'm running back to get the ball. They have to foul
1: mm-hmm.
2: Timeout was called from our bench. And if they had thrown the ball into me and they fouled me, I make the free throws. There's no three-point shot. Basically, game's over.
0: Yeah, right, right.
2: So, to John McLeod and Al Bianchi's credit, the assistant coach there, one that we brought the ball in bounds. The play was to get it to me. They did. Mm-hmm. They fouled one of my teammates intentionally off the ball, who threw it in bounds to me. So the rule came in that last two, you can't foul intentionally away from the ball.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right.
2: That's the rule uh-huh. that came in. And so he missed the free throw. They came down. Keith Erickson hit a long shot. Now we're down one.
1: Mm. Mm.
2: We're down one. And then, you know, and then we ran a play. That was a triple screen for me to come off of the third screen was by Clifford Ray. I was wide open coming off. And and uh and actually Phil wind up throwing the ball into Jamal, who was in the corner. He was open, but I was also open. And Gar Heard got a finger on the shot that Jamal took, and we wound losing that game. So that really cost us. Otherwise, we win in six. And then, but the game seven, everybody talks about it. Here's the deal. I had a really good first half doing it. The second half, all of a sudden I wasn't seeing the ball and, and we didn't have, we did not have Butch Beard. Okay. That was the biggest mistake that the team made. You don't mess with success. Mm -hmm. And here's the crazy thing. Especially with the point guard at the point guard position. Well, they got rid of Butch Beard because the general manager hated dealing with his wife. How's that? Mm. Seriously. She he hated he didn't want to have to deal with his wife. And so he wound up trading Butch. And that really cost us because I can assure you, never did I ever go an extended period of time when Butch was playing without the ball coming to me.
1: Right. right.
2: Not that we had to call a play. Butch would get the ball to me. Mm-hmm. And in that second half, I didn't get to see the ball as much. Next thing we know, we're doing it, and we're now we're making a run to come back. And because I didn't shoot the ball every time I touched it, everybody said I was TO'd because there was a fight with Ricky Sobers. Right. And everybody said, oh, Rick, yeah. And it was Al McCoy who did this, the, 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 the guy the from the Phoenix, Phoenix Suns. and so full of bullshit. I mean, why would he even <laughs> say that? If you know me, you think that I'm going to pout and be upset with my teammates to cause us to lose a chance to go back and be two-time NBA champions and go to the finals? Mm-hmm. What, do you got to be out of your mind to think I would do that? Mm-hmm. So that's what he said. Rick was mad at his teammates because they didn't do it, and he was pouting. What the hell? What I was doing it was is that I didn't want to just go catch the ball and dominate. I wanted us to play the game the way it should be played: pass, move, cut, do the things. And we actually got back to where we had a chance to do it. It was a pick and roll play with Clifford Ray, and unfortunately, you know, on the pass went over. It didn't work, and Alvin Adams winds up getting a breakaway dunk that broke our back. Mm-hmm. So I, re- not that I remember it like it was yesterday, I could see it perfectly mm, and mm-hmm. so that's what happened and we wound up losing and i think we would have beaten boston without question because havelcheck wasn't 100 and he john had a tough time god rest his soul too yeah i love john uh yeah. of guarding me because i was and jojo and jojo white was. as well yeah Gosh, yeah but I mean, we had gone too we
1: just, you know? yeah i you know we
2: yeah. we just had a we just had a we had a we matched up really well against boston mm-hmm. and then they got screwed they got screwed in the infamous richie powers because i was doing the broadcasting. You know, I chose to ignore his request when Paul Silas asked for a timeout in the triple overtime game after one of the owner times. If he gives it if he gives him the timeout, which he was supposed to do as an official, Paul if Paul Westphal goes in and shoots the technical and makes it, Phoenix wins that game. Right. Right. Yeah. That was one of the one of the, that was a perfect example of how some officials thought they're above the game. you your job is to call the game according to the rules. Mm-hmm. Not right. to interpret and do the things that you think you should do. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's the attitude that some of those players had. And I even had officials say, you're not doing that in my game. I said, your game? Yeah, yeah. Who don't <laughs> pay the watch you officiate. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah.
0: laughs> That's right. And it, and, it, and it happens to this day, you know, like I remember yeah. I'll never forget the Shaq rant, the Shaquille O'Neal rant where he was it was expletive, expletive. Yeah. And, and and the the broadcaster
2: said Shaq went on live TV.
0: And he said, I don't give up, <laughs> you know, because of the referees, because of the officials, you know. Yeah. Well,
2: well, it's unfortunate sometimes what happens, as I say, as if I was head official, I said, look, guys, this is the rule book. You call the game according to the rule book. And one of the biggest problems in the NBA Is that you hear this all the time right they say let the players determine the outcome of the game that's right well you as an official if they're violating the rule and you blow your whistle you are allowing the players to determine the outcome of the game because they are making a violation and that your job is to go ahead and blow the whistle and acknowledge the fact that they made this infraction Mm -hmm. and they are determining the outcome of the game doesn't mean that you don't blow your whistle i mean how many times you see in close games even now Two guys collide, guy drives in, they collide, they both wind up on the court, and the whistle never blows. I'm sorry, it was either a charge <laughs> or a block. It yeah. can't be a no call,
0: <laughs> right? Right, because they're just like, okay, what which one is it? And now, with it, what do you think of um, replay and everything
2: like that? Is that doesn't get too excessive? You can have technology, no, never, it never okay. can be too excessive in my mind. Okay, anytime that you can make sure that a human error can be dismissed with tech gap with technology, it should be done. Mm-hmm. There is no way. I play my entire season busting my hump and I get down to play for the championship or in the playoff game mm-hmm. and an official makes a mistake and technology can go and show whether or not it was correct or not. Mm-hmm. I want that technology used dig.
0: Dig that. Yes, indeed. Wow. Twelfth episode of Where They At? Featuring Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer Rick Barry. And I have another greeting for you. uh, Actually, a reflection on you by a former teammate of yours. So here
2: we go. Rick, you were a teammate of mine back in the 80s. I think you were the best passing forward of all time. I scored many an easy basket by going backdoor, receiving one of your perfect passes, although there was many a time where you hit guys in the head when they weren't looking just to make a point, even though it was a trailer for you. Go figure your teammate, Mike Dunleavy.
0: (laughs) Coach Mike Dunleavy senior wanted to say hello and and reflect.
2: (laughs) That was probably the most talented team that I'd ever played on. And one of the worst coach teams I ever played on, uh, Mike Dunleavy was a member of that team with Hall of Famers, Calvin Murphy,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Moses Malone, the great Rudy Tomjanovich, mm-hmm. Mike Newland, unbelievable shooter and player.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We had you know Dwight Jones. We had Robert Reed. We did, we just had a lot of really outstanding players and never really meets, made our full potential. And the coach told Mike he didn't want him shooting threes. Mike Dunleavy, to think two seasons later, led the league in three-point shooting. Wow. But he was told not to shoot him. I was told that we not and I and we didn't run the pick and roll play. How's that?
0: Wow. Was this during your first year with Houston or your second year? Yeah. You first, first year with Houston. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. it was just it was so it, it was so disappointing and all to me to to leave the situation with the Warriors. And I only left the Warriors, not for money, it was over ten thousand dollars. I re, I'm sitting there with Scotty Sterling, the general manager, and he said, Rick, I can't believe that you're gonna blow this deal over ten thousand dollars. I said, Scotty. I think he got it backwards. <laughs> it's so incomprehensible to me that you're willing to let me go mm-hmm. over $10,000. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean,
2: it, it was, it was stupid. He, I just, they, I don't, they obviously he never thought that I would leave over $10,000 and that's, I'm a I'm person of principle and stuff. And, and something meaningful to me, if they had given me the $10,000, I would have never left the Warriors. Yeah, But everything in life happens for a reason. It was meant for me to go there, even though it shortened my career. Because everybody said, well, Rick Barry can't play anymore. You know, can only average 12, 13 a game. But I was willing to take a subservient role on that team. hall right. of, You know, as a as a top player, because I had so many other great players. I'm at the top of the key, passing the ball to people. I was in the top 10 in assists. Mm-hmm. And, and led the league in free of free throws. Free throw just, percentage. Yeah. Both. yeah, both. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and was up high in steals as well. The only thing... so. Everything was geared towards the two guard and the center and the four mm-hmm. spot. So mm-hmm. that was obviously Calvin Hall of Famer, Moses Hall of Famer, and, and Rudy, great, unbelievable right. shooter. And he
0: could be a Hall of Famer this year.
2: Yes, indeed. Yeah, possibly. So, so, well, I think he's in as a coach. Oh, oh okay. So yeah. here's the thing. So one game in two seasons when I was there, Calvin got sick, and I started at the two guard spot
1: hmm
2: i took 25 shots and scored 37 points Woo. so i'm saying to myself please don't tell me i can't play they just don't let me play my game here
1: mm-hmm.
2: and i was willing to accept that and so and then i had a, a, my knee scoped at the end of the season because i had all kinds of issues with float and stuff i had and when i got it scoped out and cleaned out the doctor said to me rick yeah, I could believe what I found in your knee. I said, "What are you talking about?" And he showed me a picture. It was something about the size of a silver dollar and thicker that was wedged in the back of my joint. Um. And he said, "How the hell did you?" He said, "How did you play with this?" Wow. I said, "Well, I didn't know it was there." <laughs> and so, for the first time in ten years, I had no pain in my knee. I could actually bend my knee a little further, uh, and I could sit down where I could sit in a movie theater or in an airplane seat or something, and not have pain where I have to try to stretch it out or not wake up multiple times during the night sleeping because it was hurting me. Wow. And so I felt so great. That summer I had, uh, I think I had Marcus Johnson and uh, Walter Davis at my at my basketball camp for kids come up and we would mm. scrimmage at, at the lunchtime and the kids would get to watch. And I'd let some of the counselors, you know, play. And I just mm-hmm. was lighting them up. I was playing so freaking good. Mm-hmm. I hadn't felt that good in 10 years and never played again because they cut the rosters from 12 to 11 to save money in 1980. Ugh. That's amazing. In 1980, they cut the roster. Now they have 15-man rosters and mm-hmm. two two-way guys. But then they cut the roster. I was going to go play with the Boston Celtics and play with Bird, Kale, and those guys.
1: Wow. Right,
2: the Lakers wanted me and, and the Son- and the Sonics. So I was going go to go to the top teams in the league just because I wanted to go someplace where I might be able to win. Either go play another ring. With Magic or go. So, yeah. And get a chance to be have another championship. And I just felt Boston would be the right thing because I can come in and back up bird or even play with bird at times. And mm-hmm. I think that was good. And a lot of players had done that. I mean, it, yeah. Tiny well, join a lot them. of players, tiny a, lot of players a lot of players wind up doing that later. Mm-hmm. Tiny joined them. And then they had Scotty Wedman went there and that's Pete right. Maravich went there and Bill Walton went there. I mean, it was kind of like the thing to do. So uh, yeah. So that's kind of what happened with the rocket situation. And uh, it was very disappointing to me, but everything in life happens. I say for a reason, had it not been, For them keeping that $10,000, I wouldn't have gone there. I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have the amazing wife that I have today. I would have screwed up. As the start, Star Trek thing here, the space-time continuum would have been disrupted, <laughs> and and I wouldn't have the amazing you know young my youngest son Canyon. I wouldn't have had Canyon, yep. and I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. And I wouldn't have some of the amazing friends that I have.
0: Yes, yes, indeed. And now you became an exemplary broadcaster as well, and one of, you really set the tone because you were broadcasting back in the late '60s. You know, for, I as was a broadcasting
2: player. after the season was over, was actually right. in '75, I went and did broadcast. Stuff so that's right. But the thing is, is that I was ahead of my time there too, mm-hmm. <laughs> because they they didn't like anybody telling the truth. Uh, <laughs> I felt like Jack, like Jack Nicholson. I used that on my podcast, which a pair of people want to check it out. Warriors twenty four, and then we got to definitely talk that about I that. do. Mm-hmm. So I kind of stepped over the lines because I remember the great Tony Verna, a great director who was the guy that didn't started instant replay. Mm. Tony said to me, Rick, you have the opportunity to do something very unique. He said, "There's very few." opportunities for a play-by-play guy to cross over that line and do color analyst work. But because of your playing and your ability to do the analyst work, you could do that and get away with it because you have the credibility to do it. And so it worked really well because a lot of times something would come up. I would do the replay. Bill would have a chance to look at it and watch it and analyze it and come up with something additional that was from his unique perspective. Mm-hmm. And so it worked, it worked really quite well. Rick Barry on the twelfth
0: episode of where they at. Now, Rick, talk about your podcast, Warriors Twenty-Four. You know, I I checked out the last one and, and also Kevin Durant. You're still wondering why he left. You know, <laughs> that's like yeah, a that's I, like I, Well, a I theme got a little bit that. of an
2: answer. I did I just did a show yesterday, actually. I oh, did a show okay. yesterday. And and it had Connor, and I can't pronounce his name, it's like a French name from the Yeah, the, the from beat the writer, Chronicle, right? From the so Chronicle. Just, mm-hmm. And so Connor was on and he gave a little more insight into doing something, is that and and now I can understand it. And I just wish I'd heard it from KD to say, look, I just never felt like I was truly accepted by the team. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what he came up with. And he said, this is just coming from him. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, if that's, that's the case, then okay, fine. If, if he didn't feel totally welcome, and everything, I can understand why he might want to go off and do that because they knew that regardless of what happened, regardless of how well he did, Steph Curry was always going to be the guy there. He's the face of the franchise. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that, you know, he was able to allow him to still be the star of the team from the standpoint of his play, not as far as the being the guy, you know, the face of the team. And, And that was an issue. And he wanted to, to have an opportunity to change that. So, Hey, and I always said, I have nothing against KD. Thank you for bringing the great play that you brought to the team. And I wish you well, except when you play the warriors from now on. (laughs) And I hope he gets, I hope he gets healed because I love watching him play. I think he was, he's an amazing player. He's, you know, a surefire hall of Famer, Um, and I hope he gets healthy because I love watching greatness. And so I wish him all the best, but I was happy to at least get an idea. I said, it had to be more than the Draymond green thing. I mean, come on, you can get past that, Mm uh, and now I know why. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy to have gotten that answer. I wish I could have gotten it from KD, but at least uh, someone was able to throw some light on that. And, and if, if he's correct, I'm not saying that's 100% correct because mm-hmm. that's his opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it made sense to me based upon the way that he presented it to me on on uh, on our show. So if you want to listen at the Warriors 24, you can hear it yourself. Connor did a great job of that. So, yeah, it's fun. It's just disappointing, you know, at the Warriors, you know, being from the outhouse to the – from the penthouse to the outhouse mm-hmm. uh this season. Yeah. But it, it is it's been a very interesting situation for them because they've had an opportunity to do a lot of evaluation to try to find out the players that they want to have to be parts of the puzzle and put it together for next year, knowing full well that they're gonna have three of the mainstays from right. championship teams before with you know, with Dream on and Clay and Steph, and hopefully those two guys will all be back and totally healthy and then they're going to have the draft pick, and then they picked mm-hmm. up another pick You know that they picked up in that trade for Russell, That's which was right. a great move. That's right. Uh, and then I think Wiggins is going to fit in. He'll, he'll be a nice piece mm-hmm. to that, and I think Wiggins will really enjoy it when he gets to play with those guys and play the Warrior style of ball. I think, like I said with KD when he first went there, I said, KD will have, I think, get more easy shots and have more fun playing basketball than he's ever had. And I think that was the case in that regard. It's just that was the other personal things away from the court that I think weighed heavily on him so it's going to be fun to see what happens next year and whether or not the Warriors use those picks to trade off and bring in because they need to get big yes they got to get somebody with some size that can really do something for them and whether they're going to use those picks to do that or hopefully draft someone that they think could fill in and get the job done and, we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. And and James
0: James Wiseman, if they get the first, because the Warriors have the worst record in the league, so they have the 14-14 well, get Well, they're, they're getting...
2: guaranteed I think to get one of the top three Top picks. three picks, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They get one of the top they'll get one of the top three picks, whether they get number one or not, that's just a matter of luck of the draw. You know, to me, eight to ten guys that can fit in there and, and do your job, because the Warriors always had great success. You got to have a bench, and mm-hmm. the Warriors bench, that's when they made all those trades and got rid of a whole bunch of guys from their bench. I was really concerned about it, but the bench did come through and they won another championship because if you don't have a bench, you're, you're in trouble. That's
0: right. That's right. No, that's for you sure. You got to have a
2: bench. If nothing else, a bench that can at least maintain the Warriors, fortunately for them had a bench that a lot of times would in and increase the league. And if they were behind, helped you get back in the game. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the ideal situation. I mean, that's Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we, we had that, but we had that in 75. Yes, indeed. Yes. We went deep. You know, Al went deep. And the reason being, there wasn't that much difference between the the, the, the fifth or sixth guy on our team and the 10th guy.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: No, that's so if somebody wasn't going good, you put somebody else in and the guys accepted all of that. And it was, it was a wonderful situation. It was the epitome of what a team is supposed to be about. That's why I enjoyed that season so much
0: and challenging each other in practice too. That's well, amazing. Yeah. Thing. I mean, mm-hmm. but it's
2: just a matter of just, of just accepting your role and not letting your ego get in the way and being about the team and mm-hmm. not worrying about yourself.
0: Yes, indeed. Now, now, Rick, I do a segment here on where they at, and the segment is pretty much, it's like, Fast, random questions. If you're a baseball player, it's hit and run. If you're a football player, no huddle, but you're a former I do the 24-second second
2: player. clock on my show with Cyrus. <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't stumped me yet.
0: So. <laughs> so this is the fast break segment. So I'm gonna ask you some questions and then you uh, say a quick answer. Here we go. Toughest play, oh, sorry.
2: Go ahead. Oh, no, t- I'm just saying the thing about it is is that I have a propensity for speaking because I think somebody in my family, Irish, to kiss the Blarney stone. So I, will, I can keep myself concise. Uh, uh, and go according to the rules that you set forth, contrary to what officials do with the rule book. Go ahead.
0: Yes, indeed. (laughs) Toughest player you've faced, you've ever faced?
2: E.C. Coleman.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Most bizarre teammate, the most bizarre teammate you've ever been around?
2: (laughs) Jim Barnett.
0: Oh, okay. The Warriors uh, play-by-play guy. Uh, I'm sorry, color guy. His nickname
2: nickname was Crazy Horse. Okay. That'll tell you something.
0: I dig it, (laughs) I dig it. (laughs) Well, favorite outdoor activity of yours, because I know you love the outdoors.
2: Fly fishing
0: Mm, and pickleball,
2: both of them. They're both right up there. They're 1A and 1B, fly fishing and pickleball.
0: Wow, now you have multiple sons that have played basketball at the highest level. Which son has given you the toughest time playing one-on-one?
2: I never played one-on-one against my sons. Really? Yeah. Why would I do that? Why would I want to play one-on-one against my sons? And when they were growing up and doing things, I always had them play with me uh, in the game. Oh. It's a, it's a game of basketball as a team. It's not against one against one. That's and deep. so if I had something going on, I would have them play with me on the, my team so I could play with them. What do I have to prove that I'm better than my son? The closest I came to doing anything was I, I had my son Brent when he was going to the uh, pre-draft deal. It happened to be down in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we were out in the court, nobody was there. And so he said, Dad, yeah, let's, play, let's play horse. I said, ah, no. Oh, come on, come on, man. <laughs> so we played horse. So he won two games. I won two games. And I said, OK, that's it. I'm done. He said, No, come on, best of five, best of five. I said, No, I'm not, that's it. I'm done. And, and he said, Oh, come on, best of five. I said, No. And he, I said, Look, here's the deal I said, I'm not going to play with you because you're never going to know if you were ever good enough to beat me.
0: Ah, <laughs> and he probably
2: would have beaten he probably would have beat me because he was a much better outside shooter than i was especially from threes he was a 40 plus percent yes. three-point shooter that's Right, brent was a great shooter and he, he there's no question he would have beat me but I, what do i have to prove against that i you know rather have him play with me i mean mm. and that's what i did with him i didn't i didn't do that same with my son canyon i mean i just i go out i'll shoot around work with him mm. you know he's doing the underhanded free throw and in fact, I'm so disappointed because they just found out he was out working out, getting ready to go representing the USA in the qualifying three x three tournament that was supposed to be taking place in India coming up in another week and right. a half or so, and they they postponed it because of the, the of coronavirus. The coronavirus. So sad because he played on the World Cup team. It's the only gold medal the USA had never won in basketball, mm-hmm. and he was one of the four members of the four guys on that team. They went undefeated. He was the leading scorer in four of the seven games, played great, got a gold medal, had USA on his chest and heard that national anthem, which uh, I'm so happy he had a chance to experience that. And now, now they're, I don't know what's going to happen with this. I would have been great if they could do, if they finished in the top three, they qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. Why they didn't qualify after winning the world championship, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yep. it's, uh, anyway, we'll see what happens. I, it'd be unbelievable if he would have a chance to to represent our country in three on three, three X three is uh. As an Olympian, that would be amazing. I would love to see that happen because he, he of all my boys has probably had the toughest road to go down because he's always been treated, I think, very unfairly. Uh, My son can really play. Mm -hmm. He really can. Somebody would get a steal taking my son on their basketball team right now on an NBA team Mm -hmm. because he can play and Mm -hmm. people are just missing. They're missing the boat on him. And I'm not talking as a father. I'm talking about somebody who knows basketball. Yes. My son can play. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a real shame that he's not getting that opportunity. And so we'll see what God has in store for him. He's got a master plan. Had he been given the opportunity, he wouldn't be in the situation he is now where he might be able to be an Olympian as a three X three player. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I hope that happens and then maybe somebody will, will give him a chance because uh, I know he's got the skills to play on that level. He's, he doesn't really have any glaring weaknesses and he's a lot better player than anybody realizes.
0: Has he thought about the big three doing the big three?
2: Well, he maybe do. It's a possibility. He might mm-hmm. do that, uh, but we're waiting to see what happens with this Olympic thing. Because if he were to do it, and and, and the Olympics aren't going to get canceled, they might get canceled. That's yeah. what I'm hearing
0: that's right. Oh, or postpone to later. Postponed later. Yeah, yeah. or
2: postponed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, if that's the case, then you know like, he may very well go and go to the to the uh, to the combine and see because he really excels in three on three. Because you really have to know how to play to play three on three the right way. That's right. Uh, not you know, but but I do think that even some of the things there and the three on three stuff there, I mean, there's, it could be, it could be corrected to play it a little bit more. It's, it should be more passing, more cutting, a little bit too much one-on-one mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. because when you play it at its best, you know, when the shot clock's down, you can do the one-on-one, but man, before that, you should be just going fast, move, cut, just like the Warriors. Yeah. 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 That's the way the game's played. And my son is so good moving without the basketball and getting to the basket and then he can shoot the three on top of it. He's a really outstanding three-on-three player. And unfortunately, he's been in situations where, I mean, he'll, he'll go three, four, five minutes and never even touch the ball when he's in the game because they don't run anything for him. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's okay. You know, he accepts it really well. And uh, as I say, God has a master plan for everything in life. And and hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll just wait and see what happens with my sons. But I, I hope they get the chance to, to do that Olympic thing. Uh, he deserves to have that. He's, he's, uh, he's a good kid. Smart as hell. I'm not worried about his future. He's got his master's in nuclear engineering, for God's sake.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Wow.
2: (laughs) Yep. Yep. So a renaissance renaissance man. (laughs) Yeah, he was the academic All-America Player of the Year, the sixth man in the SEC, and he really never got a real shot to even go in the NBA. I I just, It's just mind-numbing to me. It really is. I just wonder what these people are looking at when they're looking at players. They make so many mistakes in their choices, and then they don't want to admit to those mistakes. Yep. And and so they keep guys around, and they just – basically squander a lot of money instead of having people who know how to play the game.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Now what's, how's John doing? What's John up to?
2: John's still doing his ESPN radio stuff. Okay. Know, he was doing TV and all, and then he's doing mostly the radio now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's still, he's still doing his thing there. And Brenda's of course the VP of basketball That's operations right. for the Spurs. Congrats
0: on that. Gig. Yeah. Yes. And my
2: son drew is uh my son drew is works for our Al Donnelly and, and, mm-hmm. And he was he was actually doing some college basketball stuff for a while, broadcasting. He did a good job with that as well. So, yeah, I loved
0: um, him at Georgia Tech. Loved Drew, at Georgia Tech. You know? Well,
2: George, yeah, he was like, yeah, I think he was actually had all kinds of summer records and stuff with assistant. All people didn't realize what a nice player Drew was. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a really nice player That's as well. well. Yeah, and but Canyon Canyon can play as well. I just, uh, I mean, if you saw some video and some of the stuff that he does, I look. At, you watch this video when he actually has the ball and see the things he could do. I said, what do you? What are you looking at? Why don't you see what he did when he played over? The first time he really had a chance in China Mm -hmm. played a month over there. It was supposed to be a month to month contract. What they didn't tell him was and tell us is that they had already signed somebody for the next month. (laughs) (laughs) But so they kept him for the first month. He averaged 30 a game on 60 from twos, 47 from threes and 90 from the free throw line. Now I don't, I don't care who you're playing. I don't care who you're playing against. You can't fake those numbers. I mean, that's not matter quality. That's well, it caliber. caliber. Well, he's yeah. still shooting, even with the Timberwolves doing. He's shooting 50 something percent from twos and 39 mm-hmm. almost 40% from threes. He's a 40% three-point shooter. He's a high percentage shooter from twos, and he's an 85 to 90% free throw shooter. Wow. And wow. and he can handle the ball and pass the ball and knows defense, help defense. I I just anyway. <laughs> All right, I just yeah. let it go. I, I don't meddle. I try to tell some coaches about it, but nobody listens to me. And they all think, oh, well, he's just, you know, it's this kid doing stuff. And, they, you know, if they know me, they understand. Look, if my kid couldn't play it, hey, my kid sucks. Don't even bother with him. That's what I would tell you.
0: <laughs> right, right. Now, how's how, how Scooter and Shannon? Your other – Oh,
2: they yeah, yeah, Shannon's, Shannon's great. She's, uh, she's married down in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, her and her husband, Conrad, she's uh, enjoying life down there. My mm-hmm. – Son scooter is uh, still plays ball. They just won a tournament up in Portland. They play in those club things like the New York Athletic Club, the San Francisco Okay, you know, Olymp- Olympic Club. They still have tournaments, and he still plays in the over fifty place. And they actually won up in Portland last weekend, I think it was. And uh, and he still can play. He's, he can still dunk at fifty. What is he now? he's fifty three? Wow, fifty three years old. He can still dunk. Oh wow. So yeah, he's and he's working for uh for a uh, software uh, government program company that he's doing some work for now. And, uh, but he's doing, he's doing, uh, doing fine.
0: Yes, and I know he can't discuss much, much of what goes on in that, on that gig cuz that's you know government anything with government I know is top secret information. Man, <laughs> no, nah, nah, nah. he's not he's
2: not he's not in the classified thing there. It's just just <laughs> stuff for governments to hopefully 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 run more efficiently, which that's kind of an oxymoron saying a government that runs efficiently.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, before before um we go Rick, I, I have to say um honor and a pleasure to to have you on on where they add and, and you're you're an influence. You keep it real. You keep it honest. But also you played the game at a high level. You also have exuded graciousness to all because I've had nothing but wonderful dealings with you. And
2: I, I thank you so much. Be careful. Me you'll me. ruin my reputation.
0: <laughs> I do. I have to be careful. OK, no doubt. So not many compliments. <laughs> but before but before we go, I. Um, I want to uh, read a quote from someone that wasn't able to give an audio
2: greeting, but I'm going to read what he uh, texted me. Not a, uh, one, thing, one thing before you do that. Yeah. It was kind of interesting that you had that comment from Mike Dunleavy, my teammate, right? Yep, yep. Okay. The things I just read another article, people come up and use the quote that Mike said, and they don't understand that a lot of people say it, and they said it to be funny and cute. Hmm. If Rick Barry was in the UN, he, he'd have World War World III. Three. I mean, so... <laughs> So, uh, but, but there's again, so it's like, everybody hated me. This is what he had to say about it. And yet here's what Mike Dunleavy said about me. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You see what I'm saying? I mean, this yes. is a perfect example of just how things get blown and taken out of, out of context and how these other writers who want to go and write a controversial story use this stuff as if it really and truly was true. Yeah. Right. Not all of it's true. Mm-hmm. So anyway, go ahead with your next Oh, one. oh no, absolutely. One. Now.
0: Rick is one of the 15 to 20 players on many people's list when asked to name the top dozen overall players of all time. In his prime, he was rated anywhere from one to five as the best players in the league. While I'm glad to say I spent two years with him, unfortunately, they were at the end of his great Hall of Fame career. I found him to be one of the most generous of players. That was from Coach Del Harris.
1: Yeah.
2: Well that's very nice of Dell to do that and he got a nice honor by getting inducted into uh into the into the basketball hall of fame mm-hmm. and and so that that was very very kind of him to do that. Let's let's keep this game where it needs to be uh, and not screw it up because I mean sometimes they're doing some things that I just shake my head in astonishment at because it's a great game, it's a worldwide game now. Great popularity and we just shouldn't screw it up. It's just too good a game to To have that happen to it, and let's get away from all this one on one crap that takes place. It's just yes. too much one on one, as yes. far as I'm concerned. I mean, I can't even stand watching sometimes when James Harden holds the ball for 20 to oh 22 Lord. seconds of a possession, <laughs> and and they're a better team when they don't do that. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. a better team when they don't do that. And right. Though, although I will say this, James Harden is one of the most amazing one on one offensive players I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, credit to him for that. But I just think that the team overall would be better off. And if I played with James, I've told people if I played. With James Harden, I I would deal with it because here's the deal: I don't think he's selfish, mm-hmm. and if I were playing with him, I would do like what my son does and what I actually did when I played with Guy Rogers in my first year, who dominated uh, the ball. Yep, great point guard guy. No longer with us, but uh, I would move and cut and get open, and he'll get the ball to me. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I think if you if I if we're playing with Harden and you're smart enough to move and cut and get open, James will get the ball to you. Yes. Yes. Right? Absolutely. So the problem is is that his teammates, even though when he's doing that stuff, I don't particularly like it. If you're smart and you move and do things to put yourself in a position, he would give the ball up. Mm-hmm.
0: And Westbrook does if Westbrook's sta- only if one moving. All, if, he, yeah.
2: <laughs> if he's dribbling doing everybody's standing there, I mean why why should he pass it to anybody? He did <laughs> right. <laughs> now, let me know when you're in the in
0: the New York, New Jersey area, because I know you're from Elizabeth. I try not
2: to get back there too often. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. New York is a great, I might, New Jersey is a great place to be from. You know, it's fun to go in there and do some stuff, go see a show or do something. But I, I haven't been born and raised there. I was just with a bunch of people yesterday, the other day talking about it. It's a very uh, aggressive place to live. I mean, and you have to stand up for yourself. Otherwise you'll get walked all over. Mm-hmm. And so you get this edge that my wife calls it, the East Coast edge. And but it's a it's a survival edge. That's right. I mean, because without that, you might not survive. But that'll be perfect. you'll be perfect, you know. (laughs) I I mean, I grew I hey, I grew up and I still have it and I can do it, but I I try not to, and that's why, you know, I live in Colorado, Florida now, spend time between two places, Mm -hmm. California when I was out there. I mean, it's just it's a little bit more enjoyable to live without having to be in that survival mode. (laughs) Yes, right. actually i'm gonna be out i'm gonna be out there at hofstra on the 26th of uh april saturday i think it's april 26th at hofstra at a at a at a a signing at a show so i'll be back actually i will be out in long island at hofstra i think it's saturday if i'm not mistaken is the 26th of april if i'm not mistaken that's what the case
0: is actually it's a sunday sunday
2: and then it's the 25th
0: 25th okay
2: saturday it'll be saturday that i'll be there saturday in the morning uh, I'm coming in to, to do something for uh, for Jimmy Ryan. So
0: we'll be there. Yes, indeed. So wow. But Sir Rick Barry, thank you so much for joining on Where They At. And it was a pleasure to talk with you. My pleasure together. to talk in to always. you.
2: All the best. I wish you and, and your family continued good health and happiness and success. And uh, the same to all of your listeners.
0: Thank you all for listening to the 12th episode of Where They At. I want to thank Rick Barry. I mean, what what an interview with him. I mean, this man is, is not just one of the great players in the history of the National Basketball Association, but one of the most honest and one of the most insightful people as well pleasure to talk with him and and his graciousness is, is absolutely wonderful. I want to thank One of One Productions here in Fort Lee. Their studio is just stellar and uh, i like to thank Fela, Dennis, and Joy. They really create a wonderful atmosphere for me to be able to uh, host this podcast in. And I want to also thank for the audio greetings, Mr. Jamal Wilkes, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer as well as the great player Coach and executive, Mr. Mike Dunleavy Sr., one of my good friends, and coach Dell harris for providing a written reflection on rick berry as well so and if you like the music check it out on my website n-a-b-a-t-e-i-s-l-e-s.com, n-a-b-a-t-e-i-s-l-e-s.com that music is from my album eclectic excursions which is available on itunes google play amazon spotify title etc etc if you want to delve more into the music thank you all for listening to where they at God bless. Bye-bye, everybody.